You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric Soap here, continuing our social distancing mini-series, joined by our favorite expert on podcasts, Clint Schaff is here, 2014 fellow in LA, longtime board member, one of our faves. Let's catch up with him, So, see how he's quarantining, see what advice he has to keep us content-filled for a long, long time. Let's get to it. All right, Clint, I need your support slash advice on something. In the last two days, I have uh, bitten the bullet and started looking at TikTok videos. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I think that you're tapping into your inner Gen Z, and it's a beautiful thing for generational cooperation. I'm all for it. So but, what I'm trying to do wait, is... But, but wait, wait, wait. But what yeah. I say, I'm also, I'm, I only want to see... I think you have to participate. You can't just be a creepy old lurker. You have to get in there make some content, sing some songs, do some dances, and then you can earn your way into the TikTok mafia. Okay, so that's what I'm trying to figure out. So there's there's two reasons this happened. One is I work for KIPP, and so we have an event this summer that was supposed to welcome all our new teachers, right? So it's a little unclear if all these folks can get together in one place at one time because it's like 150 people. So we may have to move it into some sort of virtual realm. But we wanted to have students and student performances be featured when we knew these folks were going to be in person. But now since it's virtual, I'm trying to figure out, could we have our students, and these are you know kindergartners through eighth graders, um, do TikTok-like videos that sort of match the silliness of the moment, uh, sort of quarantine and those things, but also would like welcome these new teachers together. So I'm trying to figure out what I could advise kids to do. So I'm trying to be hip in that sense. But now I'm also trying to figure out, like you're saying, doing it myself. So you can how do you how do these things come together? Like you can upload background video. Like how are these people editing these things together? I don't understand the mechanics of it. Do you know? I, I I'm not the expert. I I you know I'm proud to say that I was an early adopter on TikTok, but then I've since abandoned it. Um, Got it. Yeah, I, not for me. <laughs> but you know what? I think I think leading by example though, you should just make a funny video, everyone. That'll that'll give kind of permission for other teachers and for the students mm. themselves to to kind of make fun of themselves as well. Have you been following any of the launch this week of Quibi, which is for folks that don't know, it's basically TV content, but nothing is longer than 10 minutes per episode approximately. Have you been following any of that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a fan of what they're building. I love the platform itself. I haven't had a chance to dig into too much content. Um, I got an early preview a while back mm. and um, a couple of things that stood out, obviously the, the, the bite-sized content is interesting. They have a lot of like celebrity hosted shows for better and worse, um, I would say. And then, but the viewing experience is cool. So you, there are certain shows that were made to be shot for vertical video and horizontal video, and you get mm. different content based on how you're holding your device. Um, oh, wow. I think that's really clever. Um, I, and I, you know, I heard Steven Spielberg has a show coming on the platform that um, can only be viewed at certain times. It's like a scary show that's meant to be viewed when the sun is down. Um, so I love, I love stuff like that. I love new storytelling platforms that, um, create new constraints, which lead to new types of creativity. So I'm, I'm eager to see, you know, gosh, we, we need more good stories and entertaining content. So I'm all for it. Let's, let's see Quibi succeed. Okay. So you're, you're more on the side of, of more content is, is probably good as long as storytelling is being lifted up. Do, do you ever worry that we lose the monoculture we lose? We're all watching the same show at the same time. Oh, we, yeah, that's been lost. Um, but it's interesting you use the phrase monoculture. There is something to be said for a shared common experience or shared literacy. But um, oftentimes the winners in, in an environment where there's more content are the people who have been underserved and underrepresented, right? So now 
there are shows no matter what you're into, right? If I'm really into, you know, um, dramas that incorporate hip hop from Senegal, um, that might exist. Whereas uh, years ago in the past, that would not be the case. And my favorite show, our favorite show in our household right now is uh, called Kim's Convenience. It's a Korean comedy, a Korean Canadian Korean comedy um, that I think was a BBC show that's now available on Netflix. And, um, you know, in a years past, that show never would have found its way to us. Um, and so I think it's a beautiful thing. More places to find and enjoy content. And then, you know, your work with LA Times and working on, on storytelling and podcasts and those kind of things includes the, the creative side and the storytelling side for sure, but also, you know, thinking how you end up monetizing these experiences so that mm-hmm. the content creators can get the justified financial rewards that they deserve for yeah, things like Quibi or, or other new platforms that haven't even rolled out yet that are probably being dreamed up in somebody's head. Like, how should we think about fair monetization for the creators for this? Well, that's a great point. And I think I, I definitely support those efforts by talent to, uh, you know, organize um, in a way that they can uphold standards in their field. Um, it's so funny. Something we said just triggered Alexa in the other room. So that's the word. That's the world we live in. <laughs> um, the... Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I definitely support people coming together to create content um, and to uphold standards in the content creation world, uh, media and entertainment. Um, I think also it's not a, necessarily a bad thing that there are so that these nascent areas have um, different rules and there's more room for experimentation and trial. And um, I think all of us get to you know vote with our dollars and uh, in terms of supporting the places that. Uh, empower the talent that we want to see be empowered and stories we want told and that the dynamics of their creation are in, in the way we want. Um, I'd say there's a lot of places we could do that, right? We, we all tend to consume a lot of products that maybe aren't uh, produced in the most uh, progressive way. And so we can check ourselves on that and try to find trusted sources. We're going to push you in the right direction toward the content that reflects your values. We'll talk more about content when we come back after a short break. Thanks for listening to The Zag. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with Clint in just a second. All right, Clint, give people the scoop again on your your exact job with the LA Times. I know I teased it, but how do you explain it to people? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, My title is VP Strategy and Development, and uh, most of my work nowadays is on uh, helping lead LA Times Studios. That's our effort to um, produce podcasts that you know, relate to our journalism or outside of our journalism, as well as projects we do for brands. And then um, I also, in my strategy role and uh, business side role, look at our intellectual property and try to find opportunities to leverage them for television and film projects so we can bring much needed revenue to fund our public service journalism that we're known for. Um, it's, it's no uh, surprise to people out there that newspapers and uh, we're, News organizations, traditionally known as newspapers, have a tough business model. Uh, companies like Google and Facebook have sucked up most of the advertising dollars, leaving um, media organizations in trouble. And uh, so we need to find alternate uh, ways of creating money. The best thing you can do if you're listening to this and you want to support is subscribe to the LA Times, latimes.com slash subscribe. Um, but additionally, we're trying to get our entertainment off platform into pl- our news and information into entertainment platforms off platform, where maybe the monetization opportunities are stronger. So a lot of that has been in podcasts thus far. So give folks also some, some hints on what they should 
check out, listen to in these quarantine weeks, days, months, years? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because if you, you and I were having this conversation a month ago, I might have recommended different things. Um, but right <laughs> now, I'm, I'm really recommending to people that you, uh, you know, okay, I've heard people joke that the COVID-19 is also the 19 pounds that everyone's going to uh, okay. gain because they're, they're at home. Um, it's just like you need to take care of your physical diet and uh, in terms of what you put in your body, you need to control what you're putting into your mind. And so your media diet is equally important. So for me, that's, um, I'm actually avoiding a lot of the, I'm staying well informed. I'm going to trusted news sources. I'm trying to avoid the 24 hour coverage, which just creates fear and anxiety for me. And like, I rely on a couple of key newspapers, including the LA times. And then, um, actually the PBS news hour is really solid television reporting. And so that's like, I'm try- other than that, I'm kind of trying to stick away from stuff related to the day. And mm-hmm. so, um, I'm going to suggest a bunch of podcasts. And what I'm doing is I have basically listened to five buckets of shows. I'm listening to shows that make me happy, shows that relate to an area of interest. For me, that's music, something local, something that's good for my career, because I have a little bit of anxiety in that area right now. And then um, just some fun stuff. So I have recommendations. Would you like to hear recommendations by any of those in particular? I want to hear fun stuff. And I want to hear career stuff. All right. Awesome. Uh, on the career stuff, you know, a couple of recommendations. There's, a marketing guy that I, I um, am a devotee of named Seth Godin. He has a great podcast called Akimbo, which uh, it's it's unlike your other podcasts. It's not um, it's it's not like an interview show. It's just really it's, it's basically like really beautiful blog posts and an oral performance. Um, that's A K I M B O. Um, another one. There's a uh, I think it's called the Bailey Hancock Show. Bailey Hancock is a uh, career coach and and uh, partnerships. Um, kind of coach in Los Angeles. She's outstanding. I really recommend her. On the fun tip, a um, couple of podcasts I'm into. There's a very local uh, East Bay uh, area podcast called 10,000 Tacos by my man Isidro Salas. But it's just about his stories of growing up in a taco truck with his parents uh, and the lessons he learned from that. I think it's very endearing and a good example of a personal podcast. And then um, on the opposite side of the spectrum, uh, Oh Hello. Uh, it was just a podcast. It's a comedy podcast. When you look that up, you're going to not recognize the names, but the, the fake names that are host of the podcast are actually comedians, uh, John Mulaney and Nick Kroll. Nice. And it's like the whole thing is a, it's a farce and it's very funny. Uh, they just, they just uh, launched the first episode, but I think it's going to be really a good podcast to follow. And then happiness. What would you recommend? Happiness. I mean, these, these all have happy in the title, but I've been really like trying to keep my mind right. So the happiness lab, but, Dr. Laura Santos is an amazing podcast I was listening to even before this. Um, I recently discovered the science of happiness. And then finally, 10% Happier with Dan Harris. That's that's a very good longstanding podcast. But recently, he's been upping the production to two episodes a week and really trying to relate to specific issues that people might be undergoing during this time, like how to be happier while working from home, how to be happier while there's grief in the world. And uh, these, these people are really providing a great service. And then because you have to do this for work, you know, how do you see trends evolving, even I guess up to when COVID really hit? And I guess you can make some guesses on the future. But yeah, with so many people launching podcasts, what do you see uh, trend-wise when a a podcast pops and and catches on? What is sort of the metric right now in the industry for a quote-unquote successful podcast? Like what, what kind of things do you look at as you sort of oversee the whole landscape? Uh, big question there. Yeah, I think in terms of 
I mean, we're, we're a media business. I'm, I, I make a mistake about trying to create products that I think can generate profits, right? So we have um, our, our very successful podcasts like Dirty John, Man in the Window, Chasing Cosby. I'm really happy with not only the journalism, but the financial returns. Um, so that comes through getting a lot of downloads and listens and serving ads against those. Um, but I think where we're heading moving forward is creating different definitions of what success is. Because I think there are great podcasts um, that through their regular publishing of content, even though they're not monetized, are quite successful. I mean, the Zag is one of those, right? Like, I, I'm just blown away I how many episodes you're putting out. Well, it's, it's quite successful. Now, are you serving ads in these? No, you're not. So um, it's not successful by that industry metric, but it's, it's, it's very successful. So I think sometimes to learn about the future, it's nice to look back to the past. So for, for anyone else who, you know, who's our ages and up, um, you remember that blogs were really popular 10, 15 mm -hmm. years ago and everyone had them. And, and then that sort of over time, um, there became a consolidation of blogs. The big ones became basically media businesses and the small ones migrated to what we now call social networks to Twitter and places like that. I think we could see something similar in podcast land, maybe, um, where, uh, shows that, you know, generated uh loyal audiences even if they're not that large could be swallowed up and monetized into networks um spotify is trying to do that as uh i think with all its shows frankly and um and then there might be just a lot of room for individual podcasts where anyone any of us you know any of us nlc folks if we want to position reposition our career or be known for something you know there's no better way than to develop a six episode series on that topic and put it out into the world, then you by definition are an expert in that area. That's what I'm curious about. Especially on that last point, you think of something like music, you know, I don't know if you remember this band, uh, Queensryche, which is a <laughs> sure I do. Yeah. Kind of like eighties, eighties and metal metal band. And one of my faves, but anyway, one of their, their original members left the band many years ago and was just recently in the news because he sold his publishing rights to a lot of the, the songs that were most popular and made the most money back to, I think it might've been like the Sony music label or something like that. And so it was interesting reading kind of the business on that where he probably got a nice substantial payout for these pretty successful songs. And the label itself then gets content that it can use in a variety of ways, some discovered, some undiscovered down the road. Um, and so I wonder how some of that will, will play out for kind of what you're saying. Like, does it make sense just to, just to have a lot of content to your name that supports your quote unquote brand or is at least showing off your expertise because at some point it will be valuable to somebody. And I guess that kind of is true. You think of like a Netflix example where there's sort of like banking uh, old shows that all of a sudden became yeah. huge revenue drivers to them, like friends or, you know, community or Rex and Pecs or Rec, Rec, park and Rex or the office or those kind of things. Do you think we'll end up in that kind of world where, where kind of podcast content at some point later on, if you become famous or, or something like that becomes super valuable and people would, would pay to have the back episodes of your, of your. Yeah, of your sure. Why not? Movie? Right. I mean, I yeah. absolutely just think of like comedy, right? Like I would, uh, I'd, I'd go, uh, I'd, I'd watch some YouTube channel that had, you know, old Ali Wong comedy content from earlier in her career. Um, like that's, uh, or Dave Chappelle or whomever, like those, those people love to see the, the, the coming of age stories of talented people, not just in comedy, but that was a good example. Um, that makes sense. That's a good, that's a nice like focus or bonus to it. But I think the value is really in the creating itself, right? Like it feels good, especially in times like this to mm -hmm. put a piece of you out there and have, um, even if it 
connects to a couple people um, that's worthy, that's, that, that has value. Or even just getting the, the information off your chest is um, and expressing. You know, they, they you know, this is, um, you, you brought up Queensryche. I'm going to go even more old school. Do it. But like they say that uh, Beethoven in his time was um, not viewed as a great. And because he created so much inferior classical music as well. And it was just by creating a ton of content that he, there were the gems that ended up being, you know, his really well-known symphonies. And I think that's true for most creators. Uh, nowadays with everyone living online, there's some of us put some pressure on ourselves that everything needs to be really buttoned up that we do. And certainly we should, I would argue, we should be buttoned up in terms of being, um, you know, full of love and not hate and those kinds of things. But in terms of like the ideas and stories, we should, let's, and life's too short. Let's free up and put yourself out there and share whatever your weird story is. You love fantasy football, create a, you know, start talking about it on uh, Facebook live. And, you know, why not? Um, and particularly for NSE crowd where we all, we to some degree have a, a shared set of values. Um, the world needs us to be out there talking about the importance of um, working at things collectively, having a safety net for America and the world and, and positive values around inclusivity love and whatnot so um put it out there well said well, listen thanks for coming on thanks for helping us put this episode out there and if you want more episodes make sure to check them all out spotify soundcloud stitcher they're all there we got a whole bunch that have dropped in the last two weeks folks talking about their lives in these strange times and if you really want a deep dive make sure to get into the 200 plus episodes that are already there from oh, past 18 months or so awesome progressive drop one more on you oh hit it yeah drop one more all right, one more on you. LA Times, we're launching a new podcast tomorrow. Uh, it'll be Wednesday, April 9th. I don't know when this will come out, but it's called Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Frontlines. So California has a really unique um, story when it comes to this uh, COVID-19 pandemic and that like we're one of the first states really impacted and, um, and our governor acted promptly, which is uh, at least right now, knock on wood, seems to be uh, slowing, uh, flattening the curve. And so this podcast is going to talk about those stories of Californians of all different types and their the effect and our response to it. So check Love it. Out. Check both. Yeah, check both those out. Thanks everyone for listening. And until next time, we'll catch you soon.